praise God for what he's doing in the house and strengthening the house. And uh, I know all these beautiful men and I truly, truly praise God for what he is doing and what he is sending to all of us as a body and have no doubt when you've got strong pillars, you're able to increase the size of the tent. So I just want to um, share um, just a little bit about Uganda, um, my husband and Michael and I went and I just want to say, is Leslie here? No, I just want to give her a big um, shout out because she's faithfully gone to Uganda as an intrepid explorer on her own for many years and she opened up the original door of contact. So I just want to um, praise God for Leslie. Um, we had gone to Uganda um, the, the year before COVID hit, but we only got the testimony um, on the last night when we were sitting around with some of the bishops, the apostles and the pastors. And these were a team, probably about um, 10 um, incredibly faithful men. And we had moved um, from Western, no, from Eastern Uganda. And this time we'd gone to um, Western Uganda. But three years ago, we were in Eastern Uganda and we'd gone to a, a town and they'd asked my husband to do um, gospel crusades and also um, a, a preaching, teaching outdoor tent and pastors and leaders um, as well as other people had been invited. Um, and there was a couple of things that I remember because I got the shock of my life because before I went, um, Marlene said to me, oh yeah, Uganda's pretty Christian. And then when we got there, Bishop Charles said, actually this town is 95% Muslim. And I was like, boy, have you got that wrong? Um, but God is so faithful because Bishop Charles, he testified, he said that after the, the gospel crusade, he said those stats have changed. So all glory to God. And he said, um, and I know this is true because in one of those meetings close to three years ago, um, we gave like an altar call for, for pastors who were under the pump and who just wanted to leave and walk away from the ministry. And even I was surprised, like, you know, there's a few thousand who, who got up um, and, and, you know, very, very humbling and very open were wanting to leave. And the testimony three years later is that they have stayed at their post, they have built their post, they have been faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have seen the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, and they've seen the increase in the churches in their area. And, and their testimony has been um, through some amazing things that have happened that they have actually seen a great change in their own area. And so we didn't know this because, you know, often you don't hear the testimonies of what God does. But I do know that when we were traveling, when we all met up and we were traveling down to this refugee camp, that there was a great um, level of expectation. There was great faith amongst everyone. And I was like, wow, this, this is so amazing. Um, one of the things I do want to testify is, you know, um, Martin has often over the years preached from Revelation 3, where Jesus says, you know, um, I will set before you an open door because, you, you know, you might have a little strength, but you've kept my word. You have not denied my name. I've set before you... An open door and and God really opened up a door to a place called Necker Valley which is a UN refugee camp and we were given the heads up by two other ministries before we left and they were like well how did you get in like we got cancelled um, you know a year or so ago and another ministry was like are you sure you're going to the UN camp 
And I was like, well, I don't know until I get there. Anyway, when I got there, I saw the UN trucks and I was like, yep, definitely in the UN camp. And so my, my first testimony is that God does open up a door and he, he sets that door open, but he actually keeps that door open. So, you know, we had um, probably the first day and a half, we had about eight, I think, nine different nationalities, Sudanese, Congolese, Rwanda, uh, Etria, Central Africa, like all these amazing um, different nationalities from different countries. And they were in this one refugee camp, which is about 160,000 people in total. And they are just desperate, waiting for a visa, waiting for a move. And so when we first turned up, you, you, you just felt the atmosphere. You, you, it's, it's like a, it's a, an absolute full-on place. Um, but I want to testify, after three days, the power of God came down so mightily in that place. You, you would never know you were in a refugee camp. All I could see and feel and taste was the glory of God. Um, you know, the gospel was so powerfully preached. It was powerfully, powerfully responded to. And then, you know, after the first day, I was like, wow, this is just absolutely incredible. I can't believe we're here. How did we get here? And then in one of the um, messages Martin preached was, um, you know, it was a prophetic message, you're coming out of the wilderness. And like everyone was on fire by the end of it. And, and one of the African pastors had a very, very specific um, dream. And it was just like the whole place erupted. And you could just feel that Jesus Christ, who is living hope, who's glorious hope, like he was just downloading such hope into people in that place and you know they had to put on an extra tent outside and they run out of room and the pastors were saying well what a brilliant problem we've got we can't even get everyone who who wants to come um but then by lunchtime on the second day it somehow got transfigured in communication miscommunication i think the australians were taking the people out of the refugee camp and so we were hauled before the un commander and so there was about eight of us who go into his office and I thought, you don't need to dis discernment to know he is absolutely annoyed. And um, I mean, unfortunately, what had happened was that our host pastor hadn't filed the correct paperwork. So his question was like, how on earth did you get in here? And I was like, I can't tell him it's God because he's <laughs> just... And he goes, don't you realise, you know, this is government property, this is UN, and this is a prison. How did you get in here? And I'm like, well, we're here, aren't we? So um, anyway, we had the conversation with him, and he said, right, okay, I'm cancelling your programme immediately. And it was like, oh. But Revelation 3 says, I've set before you an open door. I heard the commander, I heard his um, officer next to him say very clearly, I'm shutting down your program and I know that Martin and, and Michael were just praying in the spirit in that meeting and one of the African pastors you know started to speak and explain who we are and I said to Martin I said just share your heart so he did he said you know we haven't come here to take in any way from one person we've only come here to bless and to be a blessing and, and one of the things which we've all done corporately as a church in those three days, we, we actually fed more than 3,000 refugees. I think it was about over 1,000 every single day. And the reason why that was so important is because they get rations of every five days, X amount of cornbread, and they have no more food after that. That's it. And we were told the rations they get is actually only enough for two days. 
So for people to, to come in and just bless them and feed them was just huge. So we had this testimony before the UN commander. Cut a long story short, he ends up changing his mind and, and he goes, one of the things that he was grieved about was some of the states of the churches within the, the UN camp. And he said to us, and it is just absolutely incredible that when God opens the door, he opens the door. He said, would you think about um, coming back and, and training, saying that these pastors, they need training. He said, I've got a thousand pastors in this camp. They need training. And we heard back from one of our host pastors, um, I think yesterday or the day before, and he's saying all Martin's got to do is file his paperwork. And it looks like, and I really ask you, church, to just pray that God will just keep this door open. Because if you can get hold of a thousand pastors, like the whole place will be absolutely changed. And so I want to praise God that I'm in a meeting, I'm hearing the UN commander saying, I'm closing down your meeting. And then the next thing, like half an hour later, we have permission to continue. So we were able to do the whole gospel program. Um, and I just want to say that the Lord Jesus Christ is so utterly faithful. So if there's anyone here and you're thinking, I've only got a little strength, it's okay. You've only got a little strength, but you haven't denied his name. You've kept his word. It is enough. He opens the door. And when he opens the door, no man can shut it. So I want to say all glory, all honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read um, the passage, which is from Luke. And I'm reading from Luke 22. And I'm reading Luke 22, verse 44. Luke 22, verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of a high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Amen. I want to thank uh, some people who actually really gave um, sacrificially. I always say when we go away on these missions, some go, some pray, some pay <laughs> for a kingdom initiative to happen. Um, and it was a tremendous investment. Um, one, of the, one of the sad things, though, was when the UN commander said to us, in all the camps here, there's over a million people in refugee camps in Rwanda. He says, the biggest problem are the Pentecostal churches. What an indictment. And he said, because most of the pastors have never been trained and they just hear the latest thing and they run with it. And he said, many of them are trying to fleece refugees from finances. 
saying you sow into this and you'll get some money, not speaking about the difference between promise and fulfillment. So, you know, he said the greatest need is actually to train these. They're, they're well-intentioned, but they're just ignorant. And, uh, and so, just a wonderful... Because you, if you get a thousand pastors trained well, you can just turn that place upside down. <laughs> just turn it upside down. So it's a great open door. And, uh, and those doors, as my wife said, nobody can shut them. So I want to get to this passage today. Uh, and this is a, a passage that's actually leading into the fall of Peter. This passage leading into the fall of Peter, and we know the reason for Peter fell was his pride. When Jesus said, uh, you know, I've prayed for you, Satan's going to sift you, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. But time proved that he wasn't. He chickened out and he denied Jesus three times. And the reason that he failed and the reason that you and I will always fail and the reason that Satan will take you down is that his prayer life was weak. Jesus came to him and said, rise and pray, why do you sleep? And see, whenever you've got a challenge to go through, Jesus had his greatest challenge here. Angela was just preaching on, on Geth Gethsemane. So God wants to say something here today. Jesus had his greatest challenge. He had a much greater challenge than Peter. And Jesus was both God, but he was also human. He had to drink that cup. So he is in a place where he was in great agony. He knew spiritually what was about to come upon him. All the sins of the world were about to placed on him at the cross, apart from the physical agony, and his flesh didn't want to go through with it. But that's what God had called him to do, sent him from heaven to do. And the reason Jesus was successful and walked out his victory was in his prayer life. The only reason Peter pray failed was because he had a failing prayer life. And I always say, if you, if you get a challenge, if you pray it out, you'll walk it out. If you pray it out, whatever you've got to go through, you get before God and say, this is hard, but you pray it out, you'll walk out victory. But if you don't pray, you'll fail. And so this is a, 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 this is a, a, a prelude into Peter's failure. And I love this fact that it says in verse 44, oh sorry, 54, Peter followed Jesus at a distance. What a dangerous thing it is to follow Jesus at a distance. David, on the contrary, says this. He says in Psalm 64, verse 8, My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. When we become distant from Jesus, we are positioned for failure. We've got to follow closely. We've got to press in daily to be victorious in what he's called us to do. So this is a passage that's actually a prelude to Peter's failure. Uh, it's also a passage that involves betrayal. Uh, in um, John 18.2, it tells us that Judas knew, Judas the betrayer knew that Jesus went to this place, Gethsemane. He knew that's where they could find him because your betrayer is always, uh, you're always vulnerable because you've shared your secrets with your betrayer. So Jesus had shared his life with this man and, and, and Judas knew where he was vulnerable. Betrayers always know where you're vulnerable. And your betrayer is not your enemy, but they lead your enemy to you. That's what happened with Judas. And so it's a, it's a picture about betrayal, 
But it's also a picture. This is a, this is a, a part where we learn of the incredible power and miracles that follow Jesus. Because all through his ministry, right from the start, miracles and power follow Jesus. No matter what he's doing, at the start, he's, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, and at the end, this man Malchus, who comes to arrest Jesus, Peter lops his ear off, and Jesus miraculously creates a new ear. It doesn't say he picked the ear up and healed it. I believe he actually created a new ear. He just laid his hands on And then John says right at the end of his, uh, of the, of his gospel, he says, you know, Jesus did many other things. And I suppose that even the world that said could not contain the books that would be written. He's speaking about the miracles Jesus did. And so miracles just follow Jesus. They just follow it, and they were following him right to the end. Even at his moment of great distress, miracles were happening all around him. And, uh, you know, back to Peter. When you, when you don't pray, one of the things, the consequences of a prayer life in this passage, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, and he's vulnerable. He's very vulnerable. He's emotionally distressed. And he's praying with such intensity. It says his, his, his sweat became like drops of blood. I mean, that is, that's a, he's in a place of deep grief. He's, a, play, he's a, a person under great pressure. And he's a person who's incredibly vulnerable. And then this man, John tells us his name is Malchus. And Malchus is like... He's like the most antichrist person you've ever had. You know you see people that just hate everything else about Christianity. They, even today you see people, they want to throw the Bible away. They, if you speak about Christ, if you speak about Christianity, they just don't want it anymore. And there are people like that around today. But Malchus is like, he's the leader of the antichrist coalition. So he's, he's these people who are offended with Christ, who don't like anything that Christ says, he is, and he's like the spokesperson. So he's the most vocal, vociferous, anti-Christ spokesman, and he's coming to destroy Jesus. And, and Peter, when he sees this man, Malchus, he actually picks up a sword, and he, he actually goes for his head. But he's a fisherman, so he takes his ear off. And this is the thing. You know, if you don't pray it out, when you have a spiritual challenge, you'll use earthly, worldly means to solve a spiritual problem, and you'll always make a mess. This passage is largely about Jesus having to clean up Peter's mess because having struck a Roman official or a, a, a public official, Peter, <laughs> Peter would certainly have been crucified himself. And so Jesus heals the guy largely to clean up Peter's mess. And, um, and the, the, the point is here, is if you use carnal worldly methods for spiritual problems, all you'll do is create a mess and Jesus will have to clean up after you. He'll be constantly cleaning up after you. You can only fight spiritual, this is a spiritual battle, someone's coming to destroy Jesus spiritually, you can only fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons and your greatest spiritual weapon is prayer and fasting. 
Praise God, we're doing a fast to start this year. You've got no, much, no idea how much power there is in a fast. This is relevant today because there are people today who they see the worldly powers and forces that are coming against the church today. And people can see there are groups out there today committed to destroying, like Malchus, Christ. They're committed to destroying Christian influence. They want to eliminate Christ from the schools. From the, from they want to get rid of the Bible. And you can see this particularly in the USA. It's very, very public, but it's also here. And there's an antichrist agenda. And it's very important. Believers don't respond with human zeal. And there are believers in America who actually are saying now what Christians need to do, Christians need to start acquiring weapons because it's going to be a civil war. It's all nonsense. So if you ever pick up a weapon in the name of Christ, you've lost the plot. And, and Proverbs 19.2 says it's dangerous to have zeal without knowledge. The only knowledge you'll get is through prayer. It's the knowledge of God, what he wants you to do in a certain situation. So here is Peter uh, acting out of human zeal and making a great mess. And he also represents someone. Peter represents someone who they're on Christ's side, but they think it's okay to attack people on the other side. It's not. Same sort of thing happened when, uh, I think it's in Luke 9, chapter verse... 51, I think it is, where Jesus was walking through a Samaritan village and Samaritans were opposed to Jews. They were enemies. And Peter actually said, and the disciples said, they didn't honor Jesus. They didn't receive him. So he said, should we call down fire against them? Should we respond with, with violence to these people who have not honored us? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you, you, know, you, know what spirit you, you move out of. And, and, and that's really important today that you never, ever get caught up. Yes, there are people who are out to destroy the Christian witness. They're out here to destroy the Christian church. But we never get caught up with using carnality. Carnal means to solve what is a spiritual problem. The only thing you'll ever do is make a mess. And there are many today, particularly in America, making such a mess. Such our weapons are mighty for pulling down struggles. Our weapons are prayer. So here as these 600 people, by the way, it's 600 because it, we know in, uh, in Luke's gospel, and by the way, this passage uh, is reported in Luke's gospel, it's reported in Mark's gospel, and they all uh, highlight different parts of it, but um, we are told the amount of people that is coming to arrest Jesus is a... Uh, there's a word that is used here, a detachment of troops. That's what it is, it's a detachment. And that's actually, in military terms, it's like a, a minimum of 500, probably 600 men were coming with Judas to arrest Jesus, probably because they'd heard about Jesus and the power and the miracles that had happened, thought it would have been difficult. But it wasn't a small amount of people. 600 people were coming to arrest Jesus. 600 people were coming to, to take him, and we know they wanted to destroy him. And so they come, and Jesus makes this, this, this uh, question. And, um, you know, Peter, 
wants to defend Jesus. It's one of the things that Peter's humanity wants to do. He thinks he's defending Jesus. And I'll say this. You never have to defend a lion. And Jesus Christ is the lion of Judah. And the rest of the passage shows why we do not need carnal weapons to defend Christ or his church. Because he is so powerful. So how do we know he's so powerful? That the 600 people come for him and Jesus actually says, he goes to them and he says, in, in John's account of this, in verse 4 of chapter 8, and he says, who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And as soon as he said those words, they drew back and fell to the ground. So Jesus, when he said, I am, he was using the same expression that is used in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, when Moses said to God, I'm going to go to the Israelites, but I don't know who your name is. You tell me who I am. And God answered him and said, I am that I am. And Jesus, when he said, I am, was actually making the same claim. He is the God of the Old Testament. And as he spoke the word, so much power came out of the, the words of Jesus. When Jesus speaks, power happens. That 600 men fell back slain under the power. Slain under the power of God. There was such a divine blast of power when Jesus speaks. There always is. And then Peter, as soon as that happens, it's dark, there's a flash and Peter's sword comes out of nowhere, trying for the guy's head but takes his ear. And Jesus, it says, in, in, in Mark's description, oh, sorry, Luke's description, it says Jesus touched Malchus's ear, but actually the word is like a violent pressing. He actually got hold of him. It's a proper prayer. He got hold of it and he prayed for him and he grabbed his ear and I believe it was a creative miracle because I think it would be very hard and normally the scriptures are very descriptive if Jesus was to pick the ear up and put it on. Other places speak about where Jesus healed blind people, how he spat in their eyes. It was very descriptive. In this case, I believe it was a creative miracle. So there's so much power. There's so much power around Jesus. He speaks. 600 people are slain. And then he puts his hand on this man and he completely restores and a new ear grows. And it's really just to get Peter out of his mess. But one of the things people don't appreciate about this passage is that, and it's only captured in Mark's gospel. So there's great miracles happening all around Jesus. All his, lives, all his life, there are miracles happening. There is power coming out of him. But Mark's gospel captures something that, that not many people understand. And I'll read it. The same time this is happening, Peter flashes his sword. It says, a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young man laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And I've heard so many people, even preachers over the years, say, you know, it's the one passage in the Scripture, they've got no idea what it's all about. And some people, you know, suggest there's some sort of perversion happening here. It's got nothing to do with perversion. It's got nothing to do... In those days, the, the behavior that we called common today, wasn't around. What this is about 
You see the word there is that this young man had a linen cloth around him. Now, a linen cloth is it's really a linen shroud. The only thing a linen cloth was used for in those days was burial. What would happen when you died? People came and washed your body. They ceremonially cleansed you and they lay you into a grave or a tomb and they put a linen cloth or a shroud over the body. And Gethsemane, where Jesus was, I've been there, it's full of graves. And there were graves all around Jesus. And what happened was that when Jesus spoke the word, I am, not only did power come out of him and destroy, sorry, and knock down, slay 600 men, but that same word went into a grave where a young man had just been laid and raised him back up to life. Such is the power in the word of Jesus. And this man came out from the grave with his, with his linen cloth, and the reason they tried to grab him is because they didn't want another Lazarus on their hands. And so this man flees. This man flees. So there's miracles everywhere around Jesus. And there's power. The power of God is everywhere where the presence of Jesus is. You don't have to, you don't have to think you, you, you've got to do something special to receive a miracle from Jesus. Miracles and Jesus go hand in. And that's why John says if we could record all of them, we just recorded a tiny portion of them. You couldn't fill all the books in all the libraries in the world. He just did miracle after miracle, big and small, Miracles just follow Jesus because he is the power of God unto salvation. What, what really gets me about this passage, I think this is the point that I want to make today, what God wants us to understand is that the way Jesus uses power is what most strikes me. Most people, if they have power today, they use it for themselves. But Jesus never used his power for himself. He used it for others. He used it to heal. He used it to redeem. He used it to lift. And he did it all the way to the cross. But this is what, I, what I'm stunned by here. Is that here comes Malchus. And all Malchus wants to do is destroy Jesus. And while Malchus is lynching Jesus, Jesus is healing Malchus. While Malchus is lynching Jesus, Jesus is healing Malchus. He actually healed the man come to destroy him. He reached down, picked up the ear, or he made a new creative miracle, and he healed the man come to destroy him. And you know, uh, it's human nature, I think. Malchus is down and his ears on the ground and blood is gushing everywhere. And, you know, I, I imagine the disciples were quite pleased that their enemy had been taken down. I imagine they might have even been rejoicing that 
Malchus had been dealt with because we, we tend to rejoice when bad, when bad things happen to bad people. But Jesus, all he wants to do is to restore. Good, bad, he wants to restore broken lives, broken people. And he restores this man's ear. He restores the dead boy to life. And he's on the way to restore Peter in the next chapter after his failure. And so we may examine ourselves but understand that the nature of Jesus never celebrates when people are down. He's always interested in their restoration. His instinct is always to heal and restore. And there's, there's questions that I, I, I think this text poses us today, and I want to ask them today. There is, there is so much power in Jesus Christ. As I said, miracles just follow him everywhere. But I want to ask this thing, this question of us today. Are we, or are you, someone who thinks it's okay to retaliate using human means against anti-Christian groups. If you've been in that group, you know, some people call themselves patriots. You need to repent because there's none of, there's none of God in that. You know, if you, some people, they think we've got to go and prepare weapons because they see where this world is heading. God is in none of that. He wants you to pray. He wants you to pray. Are you someone who thinks that because you're on Jesus' side, it's okay to wound other people with your words? I know plenty of people who think like that. We're on the right side, and we can speak. We don't wound with swords, but we wound with words. Just because you're on the side of Jesus doesn't give you the right to wound and you need to repent. Are you somebody who has a weak or non-existent prayer life? You cannot be victorious as a Christian without a significant commitment to prayer. I say it many, many times. The only way you'll walk out victory is if you've prayed out the situation beforehand. If you pray it out, you'll walk it out. You need, the only thing Satan has to destroy, to do to destroy you, is to destroy your prayer life. And we're in a situation now, in a season now, where Christians really need to know their authority. They need to know how to walk in victory. And the only way to do that is through prayer, to seeking the face of God. There is a something that happens when Jesus prayed. And we, we don't understand this fully in our mind. But it says, as he prayed and as he was distressed, God sent an angel to him to strengthen him. God is still doing that today. If you have a secret place, angels will visit you often. I get visited all the time when I'm weak and I know I'm supernaturally strengthened. But that only happens through prayer. So we need to make sure that we have 
a prayer life. Here's another thing. Are you someone who may rejoice when your enemies fall down and are bleeding? Jesus is in none of that either. You need to repent. We need to repent of that. Jesus, all he was interested in doing with this, in this situation, when his accuser, when his attacker, when the man came to destroy him, and that same person was wounded, Jesus only cared about restoring him and healing him. He, destroyed the, he healed the man come to destroy him. And so, as believers who follow him, follow in his footsteps, we can have no interest in rejoicing when other people are hurt, when other, even people who are against us are wounded, who are, even people who are against us are down. We can have no part of rejoicing in that. Because that is not the nature of Jesus. But what this passage really is about, and I said before, I said, it's, it's about somebody who is wounded by a thoughtless, careless, overzealous person. And as soon as that wounding takes place, Jesus moves into action to bring restoration. And I know there are many people today that have been wounded by people like Peter. Well, maybe even well-meaning Christians have wounded you with their words. Or maybe other people have, have, have wounded you, have swung at you in the spirit, and actually you have been wounded. And Jesus wants, the Holy Spirit said to me today that miracles and power just emanate from his presence. And right at the end, he was manifesting miracles to bring about restoration. And God wants you to know today, so some people have been carrying wounds for many, many years. Angela ministered in the, in the communion. But Jesus wants to restore you to wholeness today. The same one that just pressed on the ear, and the ear was gone, it was bleeding. The same one who completely restored Malchus's ear, and he restored Malchus to wholeness, wants to restore you, wants to restore your heart, wants to restore your being spiritually, physically, wants to restore you to wholeness today. And I know there are people here today who you need restoration. You, maybe you're like that bloody ear that's been on the ground. There's the power of Jesus, if you just believe him, can completely restore the damage that was done to you by that word, that sword that struck you. Maybe you've been carrying that wound for years. Maybe you've been carrying that damage for a long, long time. But Jesus wants to do only one thing. He doesn't come to condemn you. He comes to save you. And he wants to restore you today. He restored Malchus's ear. His word restored a dead boy to life. And he went on to restore Peter. Maybe you're, you're, you're somebody who, even through your own 
silliness or your own actions. You are like that ear. You've been on the ground broken and bleeding and you're down. Maybe you blew it in some way. Jesus wants to restore today. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. And he wants to restore you. Wants to restore you. And he has power. Unlimited, miraculous power. Don't even try to understand it. Just trust him. That whatever has been damaged, whatever has been struck, whatever has been wounded, Today is the day. Today's I'm made whole again. That's who Jesus is. That's who, he even made his enemy whole again. He even made the one who came to destroy him whole again. And he wants to make you completely whole again. So I want to get the worship team out here today. Some people may be here, you may, you may need to repent from this message. You may be an overzealous person. You may be someone who, you know, you rejoice when people are down or you think you can wound people just because you're a Christian, you're on Jesus' side. You speak and carelessly wound You may need to repent of that. Or you may, you may have an understanding that you, you don't have a prayer life. I'm telling you. That's the root for all the other problems in your life. You don't have a prayer life. You cannot win in this game. Or maybe the main message is today that you have been carrying a wound. Something's been done to you. Maybe even you did it to yourself. The power of God's here today. The power of the risen Christ is here today. And all he wants to do is to bring you to a place of complete human wholeness. That's who he is. He come to seek and save. He is a miracle working Jesus. You say, but I've carried this pain for so long. Just believe. Just believe. Just believe today that he is able to get to the core of it, completely heal the damage, take away the pain, Restore you to a place where you say, I'm the best I've ever been. That's who he is. First thing he did when he rose again, he went after Peter, who'd blown it, with only one person, to only one, one desire, is to restore him. And he restored him. He wants to restore things today. If you need a miracle, if you know you need healing, if you know you've been damaged, people's careless words or actions, you come forward today. The power of God is here. Someone's going to pray for you. And just, just don't even try to understand the work of the Spirit. Just believe that today is my Malchus day. You're not as bad as Malchus, whatever you've done. If Jesus made him whole again, he'll make you whole again. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Let's praise him. He is a wonderful Jesus.